Welcome to the Perfume Room. My scent of the day today is one of Andrea Mach's brand new releases. It is Pavilion. And she gifted me this fragrance a few weeks ago and I had tested it on Blotter and really enjoyed it. And today I am skin testing it. And whew, let me say, this is an X-ray, okay? The projection and sillage are strong. So much so, in fact, that I actually just had to run to the grocery store. I was in there for maybe five, maybe 10 minutes. And in that time, I received two compliments on my fragrance. So immediately we're giving it points in the perceivable and compliment getter categories. Now this is a honeyed rose oud fragrance and I'm gonna do a video on this one so more details to come of like exactly what it smells like. But whenever I try a new fragrance, the first thing I always try and do, no actually this is the second thing I try and do. The first thing I try and do is guess the notes and get a sense of what it smells like. The second thing I try and do is think of what vibe does this evoke? Is there a celebrity or fictional character that I think of when I wear this? Where and when would I wear this? And there was one thing that immediately popped on my head when I put this on my skin. It was a celebrity, in fact. To me, this perfume is giving me Julia Fox energy. It's edgy, it's cool, it doesn't take itself too seriously, it's a little bit kitschy, but in a sort of intentional and self-aware way. And so as I mentioned, the three notes I smell the most are honey, rose, and oud. And if you want to picture like a little Venn diagram in your head, imagine Maison Francis Kirkjian, oud, satin, mood in one corner. Then imagine lush rose jam in another. And then in the third circle, think of that smell of like big league chew or bubble tape. You know that very specific powdered tape bubblegum smell. This has that like sort of bubblegummy spice to it. And I am just, I'm loving it. And I'm actually working on a promotion with Andrea. So if you are interested in testing this fragrance, let me get back to you. I will give you the exact, I think we're going to do this sometime late January, early February, but we are going to do a 20% discount promotion and partner. So I am excited to share that with you. Hang tight on that. Let's get to our guest today. I am so excited to share this episode with you all. Our guest today is often labeled the pioneer of the American indie or artisan fragrance movement. And by her followers and customers, she is dubbed the queen of gourmands, the queen of animalics, the queen of green, and honestly, the queen of everything because she excels in every category and she is an incredible and prolific perfumer. She is the queen of everything. And as you'll learn in this episode, she might also be a countess. Today we are joined by Don Spencer Hurwitz, creator of the beloved indie brand, DSH Perfumes. Don and I chat about how she serendipitously but intentionally fell into the world of fragrance over 30 years ago at her first ever fragrance job where she just so happened to be creating bespoke perfumes on the spot. And what has ensued since is over three decades of Don's bottled memories and feelings and joys. Every scent reflects a little piece of Don. In this episode, we discuss the recent resurgence of animalics, we also talk about how the same note that you might dismiss as antiquated could actually be the hero ingredient of your favorite avant-garde scent. We play a fun game of synesthesia rapid fire. Dawn shares with us her process for how she learned to make and recreate fragrances. And she even shares with us the unsung heroes of her perfume organ. It is my pleasure to bring you Dawn Spencer Hurwitz. Dawn. Welcome to the perfume room. It's so great to have you here today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's really a true pleasure <laughs> to meet you and to be here. Likewise. So I always start the podcast with the following three questions. The first of which is, what are you currently wearing? 
I, I have to admit that I was sent a few perfume room podcasts to listen to so that I would have a feel for how um, this works from one of my friends and colleagues. And so I, I heard Yosh saying that she was uh, wearing what she's working on. And that's always what I tell people too. Like I generally don't wear a lot of scent for my own pleasure. I'm always what mm-hmm. I call my crash test dummy endlessly. Right. So I'm, I'm finishing up my newest heirloom elixir, which I do. Um, it's sort of a rapid fire <laughs> release program to do like fun and unusual uh, designs or ideas that I've been sitting on, but I don't want to put into massive production. Not that mm-hmm. anything of mine is in massive production, but because it's all handmade. So that would be crazy. Um, anyway, it's called Jessence Noir. So it's uh, black hyacinth. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. I love yeah. hyacinth. Have you ever, being your own crash dummy, as you call it, have you ever, has that ever ruined a fragrance you were working on because you've been too close to the process or you've smelled it just in a way that you didn't like it or something like that? Um, not necessarily, no. Only because I, I think that when I don't like it, that's really informative. And mm-hmm. I have to ask myself, what don't I like about it? what is the problem? And I'm really all about the challenge and the problem solving aspect of Mm -hmm. fragrance design. So I find that really inspiring. What do I mean? There are definitely times when I hated this (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was like, what am I doing? You know, Oh, this is like hyacinth has that kind of like line between putrid and a little bit of like dead flower putrid quality but that's part of the Mm -hmm. attraction revulsion experience of hyacinth that I think is kind of important Mm -hmm. to get it right Mm -hmm. so there's a few times when I felt like I crossed the line and I'm like that smells dead no we can't have that too brackish um and how am I going to fix it how am I going to walk that line that precision that razor's edge I like that so right yeah so I would say no I don't I don't have that sense of like oh it's wrecked for me I will say though um I was wearing a fragrance when I was first pregnant with my son and I didn't know I was pregnant and I really loved it and I'd been wearing it a lot but every time I'd wear it I felt a little bit nauseated and I was like Mm -hmm. what's happening to me Am I just like burnt out? Am I just freaking out? Am I, should I stop making perfume? What's going on? Either I should, I'm burnt out or I'm becoming a vampire or I'm pregnant and we'll, we'll pick C. That's and it was what the it turned second out. Two, yeah. Vampire and pregnant. Correct. Crazy Correct. diagnosis to get at the same time. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. I was oh, like wow. smelling people's breath from like 30 feet away. And I was like, okay. It's like vampires can hear mice walking, you know, in an upper register of a house. I'm like, it was the same oh smell God. for me. That's so. like supersonic. That's yeah, wild. It was, it was horrible. Wow. <laughs> it was awful. Was it harder for you? I mean, having that incredibly sensitive sense of smell during that time? Everything felt like the volume had been turned up to 35. It wow. just was so intense. And that's really yeah. intense. Yeah. But, but once I knew that that's what it was, it, it made me yeah. a lot less sensitive to it. I, I do have the ability to, to, for the most part, decide I don't want to smell something. <laughs> like, yeah. pay attention to this, but not this. Right. Green light right. here, red light there. And would you say, I mean, one thing that I noticed when I was looking at all of the many fragrances that you've created 
is not only the amount that you've created, but really spanning all genres and all families. Would you say that there's um, like a signature scent profile that you wear or enjoy most on a personal level? Um, on a personal level, I would say I'm more of a sheepra, like just mm. generally. I mean, and that's saying a very broad category because beside floral, sheepra is the widest category. Um, yeah. So, good. so um, I, I love oak moss. I love oak moss in every okay. possible way. I love all the natural oak mosses. I love the synthetic oak mosses. I love all of them. Um, so for me personally, that's probably my favorite. But I really, for myself, I feel like it's very important that I am able to create and have facility, I hope, um, in all the genres. Um, you know, it's interesting that in the past, I've had clients email me and be like, I just heard about you. I've heard you're really like, you're the queen of gourmands. And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. interesting. And then like next week, you're the queen of florals. You're the queen right. of like greens. I'm like, okay, yay. I'm the queen of everything. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like it's, it's not true, but um, um, I think that 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 feels good because that is one of the challenges that I like to give myself to feel like I can create in all the genres and have hopefully something good to say, um, some mm -hmm. good story to tell in all of those genres. And I don't feel like one is my favorite baby. You're the queen of many kingdoms. So, you know, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't end there. And with that, the third question that I always ask is, do you have any fragrance controversial opinion, something others might not necessarily agree with you on? This was the hardest question out of all of the questions that you sent me, but I, I did think of one because it was maybe like narrowing it down. Uh, I don't know. Um, I really, really, really cannot tolerate, cannot stand the smell of amyl salicylate, which is... Mm, that's the banana? No, it, or, it's no. the sunscreen smell. It's the, it's the masking it's the basically the masking um, smell mm -hmm. that's in like every sunscreen, like lip balm, everything. It's mm -hmm. ugh, mm -hmm. I I cannot no. Like I I live in Colorado and we're really close to the sun and I never wear sunscreen because I just can't I can't have it on oh, me. Oh wow, cannot. Are there are there any sunscreens that don't have it? Like what do you what do you do for sun? You well, so I can use the mineral kind, but you know yeah. it's not like you can put that on your face and walk out the door right. every day and be like, hey, what's up. I'm all greasy and white everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, I do that in the, in the summer if I'm going to go, you know, to the beach or I'm going to go do a thing that requires that. So I'll just be gre greasy and, and cakey white <laughs> everywhere mm -hmm. I go. Um, it's a good look. Yeah, it, no, it's really not. But it, it does the job. Um, and other than that, I just don't really go out in the sun very much. <laughs> there you are. Again, okay. vampire. See? I mean, my earlier thesis. Right. Uh, see? Mm-hmm. True that. Okay, so if you yeah. take nothing else, um, Don Spencer Hurwitz is a vampire, <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Okay, no. True. Let's get into True. perfume. Um, <laughs> you, you've been doing this for a while, yeah. um, and you started your foray into perfumery in the 90s in yeah. Boston. Yeah. Take me back to where it began. Um, so I, I started making perfume in 1991 uh, with no experience at all. Selling perfume, making perfume, none of it. Um, and How the, did that happen? How did you get to like make <laughs> perfume having never made perfume? Um, uh, you know, I was, I was in art school and yeah. – um, 
also, I'm asthmatic and allergic to the world again, vampire. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I had been studying in my spare time herbology and aromatherapy because I was trying to find alternative ways to handle my asthma um, condition mm-hmm. without medication because the, I was having a lot of side effects from the medication. Mm-hmm. And I also had, you know, a work study job and two other part-time jobs and I needed another part-time job. So when you get really involved in things, I find in my life that people start showing up that are avenues to the next step. And so I met somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody else who had this little perfumery in Boston where Mm -hmm. it was a bespoke perfumery. So Essence um, Perfumery didn't sell perfumes. It was a bespoke perfumery. And um, I applied and um, said, you know, here's my portfolio. I do all this other work in an artistic fashion. And I think Mm -hmm. that I could, I love perfume. And I think I could make perfume, you know, because I have this other aesthetic um, thing happening. And I've been studying aromatherapy and I've been studying essential oils. And they said, okay, smarty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, we'll give you a try. Come in and do it. And it was literally like show up on the first day and, and clients walk in the door and you meet them and you make a perfume for them <laughs> on wow. the spot right then and there. Boom, it's on. And it was pretty much like sink or swim. Did you ever sink during that experience? Did you ever make any where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do that again? No. I mean, yes and no, because the way it works um, is we literally would it's sort of like a bar situation where people will sit down at a bar and behind you are like all these bottles and Mm -hmm. you have a little talk you talk about what you know oh do you wear perfume oh why you're here because you're looking for perfume and you never find one Mm -hmm. at the time I wouldn't have known that that's an extremely important tell Mm -hmm. um, about the kind of perfume somebody wants if they say I would love to have a perfume but I've never found one that I like that mm-hmm. tells you so much about the kind of perfume that they want. But that's an, that's a little bit of an aside. Um, and I so, want to get back to that because okay. I have many follow-up questions. Yeah. Um, and so basically, you know, if they wear perfume, you say what perfumes. And hopefully you have some idea about mm-hmm. what these perfumes are and what the main notes might be. And that was a big um, learning curve. I, I tried to memorize. Have you ever heard of the Harmon and Reimer perfume guides? Yeah. Ooh, no, you need to find one on, you know, Abe books or eBay because they don't print them anymore. Ooh. They're okay. wonderful. I'm going to have to. Oh, I have one. I have one. I can just show you. This is okay. the last one from the early 90s. And okay. what it does is it literally sort For of. For everyone listening, we're looking at that. We're looking at the guide <laughs> I'm looking right at now. this book. Yes. And it's sort of like, can you, you probably can't see like it's too glowy, you know, the but it has it, like it looks like it has different perfumes and their their names. Is it that has what I'm the name, at? and then it also has like what category, like um, Cuir de Russie de Chanel is in the Sheper Animalic, and it gives you like their top note structure of the notes. Mm-hmm. Not okay. necessarily, okay. it's not giving you ingredients. It's not giving you mm-hmm. materials or how they achieved these notes, but the basic right. notes and then the descriptors of the the quadrants of the perfume. And so, okay. you know, I literally tried to like memorize this book. 
as best mm-hmm. I could at that time. <laughs> so that wow. when people would come in and, and they'd say, I wear couture C, you know, de Chanel. Right. And so I know that they like animalic. I know they like leather. I know they like dry, you know, clary sage green notes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other perfumes? And I try to like quickly calculate the basic gist of like their vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And then I start pulling materials down from the bar and put them and have them smell them. And then as we're conversing and how they react to all the materials, I'm designing in my head. I'm like coming up with an idea. Now, on this first day, was I able to do more than three of these materials for anyone? No. Right. And I will say it was maybe like written in the stars or something, but my very first client that I recall on my very first day still buys her design from me. That is an amazing story. Wow. (laughs) And I mean, it was not complicated, but it Mm -hmm. really suited her and Mm -hmm. still does. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically we would take these materials and like put little teeny amounts using pastor pipettes on the skin Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. sort of get a sense of what we did and how to make that into a bottle on the spot right there and matching it back. Wow. So this is circling back to your original question. Did I ever make some duds? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so the idea I just imagine if you're starting out right like how is it not inevitable right exactly so luckily you're just making duds in a patch on somebody's skin you're not actually like okay. making things in a bottle too sweet like right there you're mm-hmm. coming up with sketches mm-hmm. happily you know washable sketches <laughs> mm-hmm. that you could make these little things and maybe two out of three are duds and then we would have to match it back into the bottle to come up with an actual formula that could be replicated and that was wow. the process, um, wow. which was for me an incredible process, like super creative, mm-hmm. super um, fly by the seat of your pants, like, and boom, boom, boom. Also, like doing one client and then maybe you get a break, maybe you don't, and the next client's in, and you right. have to like meet a new person, get a new profile, and work on a new thing. The way that you're describing, like having the sketch on your arm and then figuring out how to replicate that with the right percentage in bottle, it almost reminds me of like a musician who can play something by ear. Like they hear it and they have to figure out how to just like replicate it right then. It's almost like you smell it on skin and then your nose has to be like, okay, it's this much rose and it's this much bergamot and just sort of like work backwards. It's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah. I think that because I started in this fashion and Mm -hmm. it was very rapid fire um, Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to switch gears you know, really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of education that can happen really quickly in a short period of time. And you just like can glean all of this um, information about people and tastes and materials and ideas and how Mm -hmm. to do, you know, skill, um, you know, working with your skill level and like really taking these like quantum leaps. Um, And I thought it was so exciting. Just so exciting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you're mentioning the reference book that you use to sort of like understand the how different fragrances were structured on a base level. What was your relationship with fragrance prior? And did you have a good sort of reference point of a lot of perfumes before you started? Yes and no. Um, I love to smell. And so I was always the person in high school. We'd go to the mall and I'd be like, we need to go to Crabtree and Evelyn. And we mm-hmm. need to go to, you know, wherever, you know, there was no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm old enough that there wasn't Bath and Body Works back 
And so they didn't do that. But, um, you know, I needed to go to the perfume counter every time yes. and, and smell all the perfumes. And, you know, I wore Chanel number no. five in ninth grade. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, what were you wearing? What were you wearing growing up? Yeah. I mean, I, my family, like so many, I mean, I grew up in a rural area. So like everybody I knew either bought things at like CVS <laughs> mm-hmm. or, um, or the local drugstore or Avon. So mm-hmm. my mom, my grandmother, my great aunt, you know, they were all Avon people. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, while I have a real reverence for a lot of the older Avon perfumes, like the ones that were offered to me from Avon, I was just always like, Ugh, no, these are so mm-hmm. no for me. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. But I used to save up my allowance to buy perfumes at the drugstore in my hometown, and then very quickly my mom would take them away and say, "I'll give them these back when you're 30. You know, like they were always like ambery musk, and like right. you know these like what she would consider very seductive perfumes that I just thought were more interesting to smell than the like because li- Lily of the Valley smells terrible on me. So everything mm-hmm. I always got was Lily of the Valley, and I was like, "This is gross. Are you kidding?" If I had known about Shalimar in high school, that would have been like probably what I would have wanted. Cause I'm definitely like, I'm Jicky, you know, yes, like yes. for the, you know, or um, Mitsuko. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yes. The so, real sheeps, the real ambers, the real, yeah. Love yeah, that. Yeah. And Amalek's amazing. Yeah. Well, speaking of your taste, I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier when you said when someone tells you they've never found a perfume they like. What does that mean to you and where does that take you when you're creating for them? So what it generally means, well, it means that they're very particular. So they're not going to choose just anything because they want to wear a scent. So Mm -hmm. we really do have to hit on just the thing they want, but it Mm -hmm. almost always indicates that the perfumes, they want something simple. They want something Mm -hmm. simpler. All of the perfumes are too complex. They're too, um, especially at that time in the 80s and 90s, you know, all the perfumes were big, they're symphonic, they're, you know, big hair, big shoulders. Um, And what people wanted was something like an amber musk. They wanted Mm -hmm. a gardenia lily. They wanted a peach and musk that, you know, they wanted Mm -hmm. like, this and that maybe a little bit of this, but nothing more. Right, right. And that was actually really hard to find and still can be hard to find. I think it's less hard to find now that there's um, an interest in linear perfumes and more mm-hmm. modern styles tend to be more linear, which has that streamlined quality that I think really satisfies that market. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, but back then, you really couldn't find that. And, and also like back then there were how many perfume launches a year, you know, less than a mm-hmm. hundred. Very different. Right? <laughs> you know, and now and there's, now there's like, thousands. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a confetti throw, an endless right. confetti throw of perfumes and I'm part of it. So I'm not going to diss that and be like, there's too many. Nope. Nope. I, I, I'm like totally right there with that. So it's fine. Yeah. It's part, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing about the industry, how much it's grown and, you started doing this. You clearly were really good at it, clearly had a knack for it. What, when you started, were you immediately like, okay, this is it. I am a perfumer. Or was it really like a sort of like a side gig for a while? And at what point did it become your full-time thing? Um, it was my full-time thing, like within a few months after graduating from university. Mm-hmm. It just was, okay, I just graduated 
and I have student loans and Mm -hmm. I need to make money and I want to keep doing this. And the opportunity arose to, um, to buy essence with Sarah. Sarah was also Mm -hmm. a perfumer there with me. And um, we were like- For everyone listening, we're talking about (laughs) Sarah Horowitz, another amazing perfumer. Yes. Yeah. And, And she and I were both like right out of school and we were like, well- what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This, mm-hmm. we could join forces and we could, we could do essence and we could just start a business. Let's do that. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think like in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, were we like super courageous or just stupid? And I would say like, that, that's probably a 50-50. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was the right thing to do. It was great. And in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, I'm like, what, what were we thinking? That's kind of crazy. Um, but we were 22 years old and just going, so you know, I'm, we're going to do it. We're going to try, we're going to do it. We think we're great at this and we're going to just do this. Um, you know, and there was no indie scene. It was the very beginning of niche, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, Jean Laporte and, um, Patricia de Nicolai, you know, and these are all, you know, people in, and, and, and um, in Europe, but in the U.S., you know, there was Mandy, who we didn't know, Mandy Aftel, um, mm-hmm. on the West Coast. And there were just like a handful of other people in the entire country just starting mm-hmm. to have the idea at the same time we were like, okay, artisan perfume. Yeah, we're going to do that. Did you have any mentors along the way um, that helped you grow as a perfumer? Um, I would say in spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> only. It's really self-taught. Yeah. I mean, I had, you know, there was a perfumer who was um, an ex-IFF perfumer who was associated with Essence at that time. And Mm -hmm. I learned the most about understanding how to reverse engineer things using your nose. So Mm -hmm. when I first started, um, after I moved to Colorado and Sarah moved to California and we split, um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did a lot of was reproductions of Mm -hmm. discontinued perfumes and coming up with original formulas to replicate the basic gist of those, like as closely as humanly possible without Mm -hmm. a gas chromatograph. So Mm -hmm. just using my nose. And so I I don't really call it duplication only because I wasn't, you know, using any like scientific, machinery to try and actually like duplicate a perfume plus they would all be discontinued so I felt okay about it anyway um but I I learned a lot about how to do that kind of service um when I was at Essence and then other than that just sort of studying the masterworks of Jacqueline and Mm -hmm. studying the masterworks of Edmund Rudnitska Mm -hmm. you know and and Germaine Sellier and and Mm -hmm. again like because I come from an art background, one of the things that you learn to do, especially I'm classically trained. So in the classical school, you go to the museum and you make copies of, of a Renoir or a Vermeer, not mm-hmm. so much to have a copy of a painting, but to mm-hmm. feel your body make the strokes and, and make mm-hmm. the form and try to see through their eyes to see why they did what they did to make the art that they did. And you have insight into masterworks and um, masters to understand your art form. And so that's what I also did with perfume. Mm-hmm. You know, I would make Cody Chipra. <laughs> I would make, you know, uh, Après Londé, 
I would, mm-hmm. I would try for, you know, Mitsuko, I would try for, you know, and I, I created dozens and dozens of um, obscure and not so obscure perfumes that I felt were masterworks to try and understand their structure and what these artists, what, what were also the artists' signature? What were the things that they did again and again to speak to how they saw Hello, it's me. I hope you are loving this episode. I come to you with big, exciting news. Unfortunately, this one pertains only to people in the New York City area, but the news is I am hosting an upcycling fragrance event. If you're on a budget and you want new fragrances, or perhaps you have fragrances in your wardrobe that you want to let go of because maybe you're not giving them enough love, this will be an event where you can bring the fragrances you no longer wear and exchange them for things that you love. I will also be donating many fragrances from my personal collection as well. So if you don't have something to swap, that is okay too. But here is the even more fun part. I'm hosting this event with the amazing Shavi Tavakol, the founder and perfumer of Kismet Olfactive. She was the guest of the Perfume Room Live show. And if you haven't heard her episode, it is episode 56. Go check it out. So not only will it be a chance to offload fragrances you don't wear and discover new scents, but you will also be able to explore the entire Kismet Olfactive line. Stay tuned and definitely follow my Instagram for the exact date, time, and location of this event. It might be this week. It might be next. We're still figuring that out. And I think I posted this on Instagram as well. But if you want to be added to my New York City listserv, DM me and I will make sure you are on it for all local events. Let's get back to Dawn. I know also that you are a big collector of vintage fragrances. And I'm curious, what are some of your personal favorite vintages? Um, I really love, I had to really think about this. Um, I mean, all the early Francois Cody, and I am mm-hmm. a huge collector of his work. So I have a lot of really obscure ones, you know, original, um, ombre antique from 1911 was amazing wow. and nothing at all. Like the ombre antique that was sold in Neiman Marcus in 1995 or six. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, fleeting moment from um, Balenciaga, which is a Germain Cellier that not very many people know. That's a wonderful dry vetiver oris. Mm. Um, of course, um, Iris Gris from Jacques Faf. I feel like mm-hmm. every perfume lover, vintage lover, <laughs> knows of this one and, and loves this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a lot of the early Jean Patou perfumes. I mean, the list goes on. I could sit here and talk about vintage perfume like for days and days and days. Besides obviously certain materials that perfumers no longer work with, is there a big stylistic difference you see in those vintages that you're talking about, especially when you're comparing them, for example, to reformulations that have come later? What's what's the biggest difference in style between vintage perfumes from the sort of turn of the century versus what's being created now? Well, it's interesting you say that because um, if you'd asked me this 15 years ago or 20 years ago, um, I'd say there's a huge difference. You know, everything wants to be more clean and streamlined and um, definitely not dirty, not animalic. And because there's been such a resurgence of interest in animalics in the past 10 years or a little bit less um and sort of synonymous with the oud craze right um i think that 
there's there's more in common now with perfume design and interest and materials and styles with the early 20th century, um, mm-hmm. you know, than there would have been you know, 15 or 20 years ago. But I think the real difference is the materials, mm-hmm. you know, the, the newer molecules and the, um, the use of molecules instead of naturals and, right. you know, if for compliance and allergens. Yeah. I think that that creates a, a different um, sense of it. Have you ever attempted to recreate, uh, I mean, I know that you're talking about sort of reverse engineering, but are any of your fragrances today sort of an homage to some of your favorite vintages or uh, modernization of them? Um, I wouldn't say modernization. Like I don't usually in my own work try to make a sort of like, this is my response or reply to X. Like that's not really something that I do generally, but I have lots of, I like to leave what I would consider fragrant breadcrumbs to anybody who knows uh, vintage perfumes or other perfumes. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to leave little markers to say this, if you smell it, references that. This references Mm -hmm. that. So I have lots of perfumes like that. Um, Mm. You know, Emerald Hyrax, that's something that just came out last year and is a, an animalic green sheep. And mm. I feel like that has some referencing to some of the, the green sheep or perfumes from the early 20th century, but then also that resurgence in the seventies, mm. you know, so there's a little bit, and, and I can't think of any names off the top of my head. I'm like, Oh, that's directly about that. It's, it's definitely more hazy. I'm not trying to make like really like this is about Mitsuko, <laughs> you know, right, right. kind of thing. That's not generally something that I like to do. I think that's really interesting that your answer would differ 15 years ago versus what you'd say today with sort of like the resurgence of ouds. What are some things that are trending right now that maybe people might not be aware is just history repeating itself? Like people think, oh, this is a big, shiny new thing, but it's it's happened. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't really follow trends so much. I mean, because I'm just out here in Colorado making perfume in a studio. <laughs> so yes. it, it's, it's a little like, I feel like my work is just generally less trend driven. But as you say that it popped into my head to say the, the use of aldehydes. Hmm. I mean, I okay. feel like that's something that's actually been with us in a consistent fashion um, to mm-hmm. greater or lesser degrees for all of the 20th century. And I think that um, although they got eclipsed by, you know, ambers and the clean musks and things, you know, in the last decade or so of the 20th century and the first decade of the 21st century, but I feel like now we're seeing a lot more metallics and mm-hmm. use of aldehydes to make more abstract, even more abstract than, you know, Chanel Number no. 5 at the time was so revolutionary because it was the first abstract perfume. It wasn't right, supposed right. to be, this is a rose, or this is a violet, or this is a mm-hmm. fougere that's meant to be like crushing ferns under your feet as you go mm-hmm. through the woods. Um, right. there, was, there was this sort of sense of cubism or something um, mm-hmm. happening with Chanel Number no. 5. And I think that now there's a lot more interest in there's a little edge of pollution or there's, you know, <laughs> steel. A note. Yeah, yes. there's like steel girders, you know, or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. concrete. 
And right. I think that a lot of those you can trace back to aldehydes. So I think that mm-hmm. for some people, they would think of aldehydic perfume as Chanel number no. five, AKA grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually that could be the thing that's making that motorcycle chrome note in your favorite perfume yes. do its thing. I'm so happy that you said that. <laughs> the same note that some that one person will dismiss as the smell of grandma, they will purchase if it is marketed to them in another fragrance as like industrial. And it's like, they're both an aldehyde. Right, right, exactly. I mean, you know, again, it's context because the other parts of Chanel Number no. 5 are nothing like an industrial perfume. Right. But right. if you take them out of that context, right. yes, indeed, they are many of the same um, perfumes and certainly the same class of perfume. Right. And I know, so you do have this background in art and you were also sort of alluding to Chanel Number no. 5 as sort of cubism. And I know that you experience synesthesia when you're creating. What what are some of the associations that you have or what's that experience like for you? Um, you know, I started experiencing synesthesia as a child, but sort of wrote it off and stopped paying attention to that for a while. And then at, when I started making perfume is when it really reemerged for me and I didn't really know what to call it. I didn't know what it was that was happening, but I felt like I could memorize the perfume notes very quickly because each of them has a unique texture and a unique Mm -hmm. kind of transparency or opacity, um, a line, a signature. There's a lot of detail that feels very visual to me um, about Mm -hmm. all the materials and pretty much every smell. And because mm-hmm. of that, I have this really fast recall with it. I can be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. that, that's that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, then I learned about synesthesia. Then I, then mm-hmm. I put it all together and went, oh, that's, that's what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And so I experience literally each smell as sometimes it's sculptural. Like I literally can see like a three-dimensional object almost with mm-hmm. a certain kind of edge quality. Um, maybe it's fuzzy, maybe in the texture could be velvety, or maybe it's very sharp or shiny or stony. You know, is it cool? Is it warm? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like a fabric and I literally can almost sense it on the tips of my fingers. Um, wow. and, and a lot of times it'll be, there's a pattern, there's like different amounts of certain colors. It's very detailed. And as I've been, you know, working this long, one of my favorite things to do is design perfumes with specific textures in mind. So not just referencing, say, you know, perfumes of the past and these kinds of patterns of how they're designed and and put together, but also, you know, with my um, animalics, especially, you know, chinchilla is meant to literally feel like that kind of very um, soft fur, you know, with mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. a sense of it, whereas foxy is a fox and, and it has a, right. a kind of like edge to the fur tonality. It's a little rougher and more feral, Um, even though to me, the smell isn't feral. How do you achieve textures that don't necessarily influence the smell? Or is it that the smell, like how, yeah, like when you were talking about creating like a furry type of smell? Um, For me, they're synonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fur smell that I'm looking for is usually the same texture. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a matter of, again, like finding the materials to like hit the perfect balance of sort of weaving to Mm -hmm. 
get that texture just right. You know, some fur notes to me, um, costas, you mm-hmm. know, which is actually a root. So it's a, I, I love botanicals that do animal things. I think that's so weird yeah. to be like, it's a plant that wants to be an animal. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to me, that one in, has a kind of like slick, waxy bedhead fur but, mm-hmm. and skin, but you could push it towards something rough. And then mm-hmm. there's um, a molecule called shangrilide, which is a musk molecule that's that's very, you know, like funky and strong. Not funky like fecal, more like mm, funky, funky, sour, sour, sweet. Do you know how like mm-hmm. people could be sour, sweet, especially if they've been like working out at the gym and it's two hours later <laughs> and they're a yes. little, you know, funky yeah. sweet, yeah. like sweaty yes. sweet, something like that. Shangri-La is mm-hmm. a little more like that to me with little honey sweet undertones and a little bit of urine. But anyway, I digress. Um, a little that, pissy sweet. A little pissy sweet, right. And so yeah. that that has this ability to be pushed and pulled also. Like you could make that one mm-hmm. t- could be very shiny and mm-hmm. almost like an undertone like was clean. Oh, we could almost go to like soapy with a little funk underneath it. Or you could turn that into something very soft and furry, depending on what else you put with it. I guess that's where I'm going with it. It's, it's again, like everything's context. It's, it's what you yeah. put with it. And as you push and pull to create the textures that you're looking for. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So if we did like a little like rapid fire, if I threw out some general notes and you just told me either like a texture or a shape or a color you see, could we play that? hundred percent. Okay. Um, rose. Rose. Um, dewy skin, like, um, sometimes wet, sometimes Mm. fiery. Galbanum. Ooh, shiny green, sometimes sticky, sometimes silvery, sometimes black. Cypriol. Ooh, I love that note. Um, that one's foggy. How can I say? Um, it's Cipriol so it's hard. Very, I don't know how to explain that one. It's it's, like- it's 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 gauzy, and at the same time, it's like a lot of gauze bunched up. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like doing Ooh, that with my okay, hands. Yeah. I was like trying yeah. to be like it's it's got bunchy round nodules, but it's actually gauzy, all bunched up, like very brown mm-hmm. gray gauze. Mm-hmm. bunched up yeah mm. um with a little smoky edge and a little wax maybe stuck on some of the little fibers like little bits of wax yeah <laughs> it's so interesting that you were talking about how it helps you with recalling different notes or different things like that because I also have had an experience I don't know if it's quite synesthesia but it's like mnemonics to me like it's like oh when my when this smell makes my jaw feel like that I know that I'm smelling this note when I when it reminds me of this childhood thing that I know, I know I'm smelling this note. And so it's all sort of like they they can all be memory joggers, the way yeah. that things make you feel or what they what they smell like to you. Yeah. And I mean it's interesting that you say that because it made me remember that one of the skills or one of the things that you have to pay attention to when you're using your nose to reverse engineer perfumes is mm-hmm. the the body sense of it. When you smell mm-hmm. it and it makes, there's a thing in the body that doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right. And it then it feels right. It's literally like seeing your hand be like, doop, 
And, and right. now it's like, now they're this, like pretty much the same, maybe a little variation, but there's, there's a body feel. So you have made so many fragrances. I'm curious, are there any real life smells that you're still chasing or that you're just like, you haven't bottled yet for whatever reason? Um, yes. A lot of them are sort of, um, autobiographies. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, for a while I was writing a blog and then I had Xander and then I was like, who has time for that? But, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, I was writing this blog called DSH notebook because one of the habits that I've had for an extremely long time is I carry around notebooks and I write in notebooks constantly. And a lot of them are like some kind of sensory impression that I get. And I write down what the perfume is. What is the perfume of that sensory impression, whether it's a light or a combination of, of, um, you know, actions on the street or whatever, how would I make that perfume? Jot it down quick. It's a sketch idea. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. I'm always doing that. And so I feel like I have some notebooks with, um, autobiographical smells that, that I want to, that I want to talk about, because I think that for me in my, in these later years, um, <laughs> it, it's, I think that storytelling is a super important aspect to, uh, what I'm doing, what I want to do in, mm-hmm. in perfume design and what I'm creating for my clients. Um, I want to tell their stories. I want to tell my stories. I want to tell stories that feel universal, even if they're very specific, that Mm -hmm. there are things that when people wear them and they read the copy and they read what it's about, they go, yeah, I know that. And I want to feel that and see how that feels for me. And I want to wear that around. It's sort of like the, the scent scape or the scent track of your life at any moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that these stories that we want to tell, that's, that's where it's at for me. When you are talking to someone and you are making a a custom fragrance for them, if they maybe don't have a lot of reference points to fragrances or notes that they like, how do you translate their stories and their affect into scent? Um, You know, it just is a matter of hitting upon the right avenue of questioning, you know, Mm -hmm. because everybody does have that stuff in them. They do. Mm -hmm. They just don't know that they do. And I tell Mm -hmm. people to describe what we're talking about in any terms that they choose. Mm -hmm. Um, Partially because I've had a lot of experience talking to people about perfume and about scent and about their lives and about how to translate it that I feel like I can figure out the, the Rosetta Stone for them. I feel like I can understand what they say. It can be as abstract as I'd like it to smell more blue, you know, mm-hmm. or it can right. be about anything that they say. And I feel like I can intuitively understand them and feel them and feel the next question to ask that will get us to the gemstone, that little thing that's right there inside of them that they want to touch upon with the fragrance that we're making. And we'll get there and we'll do that. Yeah. What is your what is your Rosetta Stone? Like if someone were trying to figure out your <laughs> fragrance, what do you think is like the classic you? Oh god, I really don't know. I feel like at this point I am such a chameleon with mm-hmm. you know what I like and why it's it's so deeply emotional and and I'm a very mercurial person. So yeah. I feel like I'm I'm shape-shifting the all the dang time. Moving on to yeah. You, when you're creating your perfume organ, you're in the zone. What is the unsung hero 
of your materials? Because I have, you know, thousands of materials, naturals and not natural. Um, I feel like, and I feel like this is also like one of the notes when in, in one of the questions that you were like, what is, um, a perfume note from yesteryear that I really, really love. I feel like heliotrope mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. love heliotropine. I love heliotropine replacers. Mm-hmm. I love heliotrope. I don't use it all the time because it's so specific and it has a very, very distinctive, um, for me, coloration and texture. That me if, too. Yeah. So that if that's not what I'm looking for, I really, mm-hmm. sorry, Heliotrope, I love you, but you're going to have to sit mm-hmm. this one out. And that's most of the time, actually. <laughs> but I mm-hmm. love Heliotrope. And then also, I, I, what came to mind was beeswax, which mm-hmm. I do use regularly, not in everything, everything, but I, I was and still am obsessed by beeswax materials. Um, not the least of which is because year to year, it's just like honey. I'm obsessed with honey. Also, I have a, I have a friend who's a beekeeper and I collect her honey and I, and I keep all her little jars after I've eaten most of it with just a little teeny bit, just to like smell. They're like time capsules and because they do vary, they vary. And they are also like perfumes with stories inside of them. Mm -hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. that beeswax, because it's, coming from the same experience and plus it's those little bees those little animals those teeny weeny little animals making their little bees and you know I love them I love bees so much um I could go crazy anyway um I I love that it is as unique and and has signatures of almost the little personalities year to year of like what's happening in their environment what's happening in the world, what's happening in their hive, what's happening in their personal lives. I don't know, but it's like, you can almost tell. Um, and so batch to batch year to year beeswax absolute is really different and different regions also really produce different beeswax absolute. It's like wine. It's like, was it a good year? Was the terroir good? Exactly. Like, I mean, I have floral beeswax. I have soft beeswax. I have creamy beeswax. I have funky beeswax. I have, you know, slightly greenish, minerally beeswax. I mean, you name it. And and there's beeswax absolute that will match this descriptor. And they can be as weird <laughs> and and multifaceted as you can come up with and you could find that. And so, yeah, I'm a massive collector of beeswax. <laughs> Absolutely. That's amazing. I, I don't really think I know that much about beeswax. So I'm very intrigued by all of this. And I love that, yeah, that no two beeswax fragrances essentially would be the same. So. Right. Yeah. Any of the perfumes that I have that have a lot, that has a lot of beeswax, I, I have disclaimers being like, when I make a new batch, this may be different. Same with osmanthus. I will also say mm. like osmanthus, I find varies pretty significantly, you know, in, I think that there's a lot on the market. And so it takes a few years, like three to five years. And then another big batch comes out and you're like, Whoa, hello. Anything I used mm-hmm. a lot of osmanthus for, I have disclaimer also It'd be like, if you love this perfume from five years ago, get a sample now before you buy right. a new bottle because right. it really could it have different. a different yeah. vibe and it may not be what you want it to be. So the final question before we move on to our rapid fire segment yes. is um, what is something, whether it's a specific smell or molecule or fragrance you're working on that's just really exciting you right now? Um, what am I working on that's exciting me right now? Because um, I work on generally multiple perfumes at a time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I find for, for myself anyway, one, I need that psychologically. I need to be that like engaged in many things or again, mercurial. I can't just be all zoned in on one. Plus if I zone in on one too heavily, you start to get tunnel vision. And then I don't know whether I'm coming or going. So because mm-hmm. I can be like, I worked on this, I'm going to move on to the next one. It's a totally different thing. Maybe it mirrors. Mm-hmm. It just occurred to me. Maybe it mirrors what I did in my very earliest work of that, like one client, then another client, then another client. Yeah. You know? Um, and I find that that really works for me creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, it also mm-hmm. helps me not get tunnel vision so that then when I can come back to it, I can evaluate it properly and know what I need to do next. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't answer your question. Um, actually, I just finished them. So I, I can't say that it's what I'm working on now, but I literally just finished them. I have a trio yeah. of bergamot perfumes that yeah, I'm like uh, in love with. And everybody here at the studio is like in love with. Um, and it's really exciting because to try and come up with things that are kind of refreshing and new in some way with bergamot and bergamot's ubiquitous. It's in everything, literally. (laughs) It's in everything, whether it's natural or synthetic, it's in everything. Um, And it's also, you know, a very longstanding note in perfumery. So to come up with something creative and and maybe new things to say about it. um, And I've been doing this thing like once a year, doing a little trio of something. It's like one note and it's a trio about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I have... um, one that's called Grappa e Bergamato. So it's like um, white grapes and literally boozy grappa with a little mineral, like a little bit of like the wine cellar thing. Um, But then with the bergamot, so it's very fresh. Um, So I love that. And I think that that's a kind of unique take, something different. And then um, one called Erbi Bergamo, which is like parsley and green grass. Mm-hmm. with a bergamot but this one's a mm-hmm. and has a floral sea in it so this is probably the most traditional of like an eau fraiche but it has that parsley that i think and herbs that that makes it interesting um and then another one that's also got a little herbal kick to it is called potager de bergamo that's mm-hmm. you know potager um not being like vegetable garden but more like kitchen garden so it's like salty rosemary Ooh. and bergamot and that one is like leans a little fougere, so it has a little anisic um, component. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what I'm most excited about right now. So fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have one final segment of the show. Yeah. And that is rapid fire um, scent association. It's a game called What's That Smell? Mmm. What's that smell? I'll throw out places, people, concepts. Just tell me the first smell that comes to mind. Okay. So, Don, are you ready to play What's That Smell? I am so ready. <laughs> okay. Don, what is the smell of Boulder, Colorado? Um, Ponderosa pine trees. Ooh, okay. What is the smell of Poughkeepsie, New York? Ooh. Uh, well, okay. The first smell that comes to mind is mildew. <laughs> mildew. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's minerally. It's definitely like the Hudson Valley is very mm-hmm. mineral mildewy. Sorry. It's really mm-hmm. true. <laughs> okay. My follow-up to that. What is the smell of your childhood home? Okay. I like that you asked me this because I have a perfume that I made last year that's based on this. That's called Electric Summer. Mm -hmm. That is literally the smell of hot and cold air, like electrified through fans and air conditioning. (laughs) 
Okay. Which is in my mind, the smell of my childhood home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's abstract, but I think we all kind of can smell something when you say that. So I'm very curious to, to try yeah, that. What, yeah. What's the main note in there? Um, well, interestingly, not exactly the main note, but I did get to use heliotrope and I did get to use aldehydes. What? Yeah, full See, circle. everything's full coming together. Circle. We're okay. weaving it all together. Meant to be, meant to be. Okay. Um, what is the smell of Newberry Street? Oh, um, Armani, anything, and clothing sizing. Okay. <laughs> what is the smell of love? Oh, well, I'm biased. So a mango lassi is the smell to Xander of love. And so that is the smell of love to me because he and my husband are the smell of love. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Um, the final question. What is the smell of DSH? Ooh. Um, okay. So I would say it's Rose Vare, which is a perfume that I make that every time I wear it, people say, oh, you smell just like your studio. Mm. So I okay. guess I would That's have it. to say that, even though I'm like, oh, I don't know. Rose Vare. That is the smell. Mm-hmm. Dawn, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you. And for everybody listening, they must try your fragrances if they have not already. I know so many people have because I have been getting messages for so long being like, you got to have Dawn on the podcast. And I'm like, yes, I know. Um, <laughs> that is so, so sweet. Thank you. Dawn, where can people find your fragrances? Um, They can find my fragrances at my website, dshperfumes.com. And we have an Etsy shop for people overseas um, where okay. they can get all the Wall de Parfum uh, versions. And if you'll let me just give the explanation, because I get so many emails all the time, even though the info is on my website, but people don't seem to find it. So the Wall versions are all isopropyl mirastate based. And so okay. that is technically a sprayable oil. It has a... It's, ah. it still will spray. It's still fine mist, but it does not have a low flash point. So it is legal to ship through the post. And then Eau de Parfum, the only difference, it's ex- exactly the same base, the exact same proportions, yada, yada, yada. It's just the traditional alcohol that we can legally ship in the US. That's it. Boom. Thank you for letting me say that. <laughs> yes. I made that mistake. So I'm glad you clarified it because I was confused and I was just like, all right, I'm going to do that one. And yeah. uh, then you're like, you ordered the wrong thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, thank you for steering everyone in the right direction. Thank sure. you for coming on this podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. It has been a huge pleasure for me too. I mean, you can tell I could talk about perfume all day, all night, through the year. Yes. <laughs> a part, the we'll, we'll do a part two. Okay. So, Don, thank that. you so much. Thank you. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon, and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 